All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. We just ask that you be with us today as we, we get to study your word and we get to uh, fellowship with, with each other. We thank you for all that you've done for us. and God, we just pray that you would just guide our hearts as we read your word and we, uh, we discuss it. We talk about what you've said to us and what you intend for us. And be with us also as we go into worship afterward, Lord, that you would give us hearts that are prepared to come to you in thanksgiving and praise. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so in Acts chapter 11, hey, Tammy, um, we're going to start in verse 19. And <clears throat> remember, verse one, through, uh, verse 1 through 18 is Peter retelling the whole story about Cornelius, about how he received a vision and Cornelius sent for him. And, you know, y'all, the last two lessons have been about that. We've talked about that from chapter 10. So uh, what happens here is... We're going to see that uh, the, the the focus is going to change right in the middle of this chapter from from Peter to uh, Saul and and Barnabas and and so for the next couple of chapters uh, we're going to be talking about Saul and Barnabas and then for the rest of the pretty much the rest of the book of Acts we're going to just be talking about Paul. Remember his name doesn't change until chapter thirteen. That's not to say his name changes in chapter 13 but Luke doesn't start calling him Paul until chapter 13 so he's still Saul of Tarsus and so remember that's one of the things we talked about a lot of people think that he was lost and Saul and then when he got saved his name changed to Paul but that's not that's not necessarily so his name was always his Hebrew name was Saul Greek name was Paul and so I don't know why you need to know that that's just you can file that under stuff you'll never need um so what you're going to see here between verses 19 through verses 30 is the whole, all we're going to deal with. You're going to see four ways, I, I see four ways that God uses to grow his kingdom. It's four ways that he used right here in this text. There's still the same four ways he uses today. It's not the only four ways, so I'm not saying that if it's not one of these four ways, it's not, it's not that. I'm just going to show you what I see in, in, in the text. And so... The first thing that he uses is something that we've already talked about before is he's going to use persecution and, and trial. Uh, and that stinks, especially when it's happening to you. You know, it says in, in verse 19, it says now he's changing subjects. He's done with uh, we just came out of a Jewish council where Peter was talking about all the things that had gone on. And it says verse 19 says now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. Remember what happened in Stephen's death? So Luke here, as he's right next, he's kind of going back in time a little bit. He's saying all this has happened with Peter and Cornelius and all that, but now we're going back. Remember when that persecution happened when Stephen was first uh, martyred? It says the people who went out of that persecution traveled as far as Phineas, which is Phoenicia, and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but only but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spoke to the Grecians, which is the the Hellenists, the people who weren't Jews, uh, preaching the Lord Jesus. So uh, up until the persecution of Stephen, uh, all the Jews that believed in Christ pretty much stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, 
And so they stayed there. And if you wanted to hear about Jesus, you had to come to Jerusalem. You had to come to the city. You had to come to, uh, you know, the, the, the people there. That was the only place on earth you could hear about Jesus. And remember, Jesus commanded them. He says, when, when you shall receive power, what was going to happen? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you will... You will preach the word, but what would he say? It's Acts 1.8. Brother Eddie quotes it all the time. You will, yeah, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. Well, they decided pretty much they're just going to stay in Jerusalem. So what happened was when Stephen was killed, persecution broke out and it kind of drived them. It drove them out of Jerusalem. And so they were, God was fulfilling his word through Christ that you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Remember, that's why Philip went to Samaria in the first place, right? Is because... They were persecuting Christians in, in Jerusalem, so he went out and he got to preach to the Samaritans, and we saw all that that happened. And then now the Gentiles are being brought into the kingdom of God, and so he uses persecution. He uses trial. He used the death of Stephen, you know, Stephen to send these people out that people would be converted and all those things. And, you know, I'm sure as they were leaving Jerusalem, they were they thought this was bad. This was not good. You know, this was awful. It, when persecution trial happens to you and me, I mean, I'm not saying that we enjoy it, you know, and that we we, uh, you know, uh, you know, when something when something happens, the Bible says in in Romans eight twenty eight says that uh, all things work together for the good. God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that's easy to quote. Uh, it's a little harder when something bad is happening to you. You know, it's a little harder when you're the one going through something. But it's either true or it's not true. I mean, you can either say that it's true or it's not true. So even when something bad is going on in your life as a believer, when, you know, you just pick it, whatever tragedy you, you would think, you know, whether you're actually persecuted or whether there's some tragedy that happens, well, you know, you could go as far as to say even, you know, the death of somebody that you love or even one of your children. Or I mean, you can get as awful with it as you want to. God is in the is working in the midst of all those trials and persecutions and all those things to uh, to bring good out of it, to do his will. And uh, it, it, it's good to know that before it happens. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, tomorrow if, hey, tomorrow if something bad happens to one of my kids, let's just say, God forbid, something bad happens, I'm not going to be dancing and happy and joyful and saying, well, you know, it's, it's all for the best, God's working for it. I'm going to be just like everybody else would be, be grieving, you know, be asking hard questions, be, but we have to have the foundation under us knowing already there would, I, I, if I put myself in that position, I want to, I, I want to say that there's, there's got to be something in me that knows that God is still in control, that God is still uh, working all things for good. And although I may not like it, may not understand it, uh, it's a fact. Does that make sense? Y'all understand that? It's Jesus calling. Y'all, uh, it, it's something that you have to know now. Because when somebody comes to counsel you, and I've probably told y'all this before, 
If something bad happens and somebody comes to counsel you, probably the worst thing you could say is, well, God's using this for good. You know, I mean, that's that's really something you don't want to say. When, even though it's true, and you know, you can say it, but just for instance, you know, sometimes they, uh, at the hospital, they alert pastoral care immediately when there is um, like an infant death for any reason, you know, because, not because we, you know, sometimes they want to see us, sometimes they don't, but they notify us just so we can be around and be kind of hovering around in case, you know, because that's an emotional deal. And, the last thing in the world you want to do is kick in some mother's door and say, well, it's okay. God's working all this for you, you know. Cause that, that, at that time, you just want somebody to suffer with you, you know. And so you need to understand that now while you're not going through suffering. You need to understand that now while, so when suffering comes, you're going to go through the same things everybody else goes through. It's not going to be any different for you than it is for anybody else. But inside, you'll know inside that, that uh, there'll come a day when you realize that God is working in my suffering, in my tragedy. And I think it also helps to know that because, you know, we, we use Christ as, as someone that we do follow after. It, it, it gives me comfort to know that it, it wanted Christ suffer too. And he suffered temptation. And he suffered pain. Yeah. And he suffered, you know, not just emotional pain, but he suffered physical pain as well. Sure enough. And, but just like you said, he knew when it was all said and done that it was God's will, not his, that was to be done. Yeah, yeah. And it was God's will that he would suffer. Right. So even though you could say it was the sinful Romans and the sinful Jewish council that turned him over, ultimately it was... God who crushed him. That's what Isaiah 53 says, 56 says. It was God that crushed him. And so, I mean, it's easy to see in Jesus' case because he died for our sins and all that, but it's a little harder to see when it happens to you, you know. And so, um, I, I just wanted you to see that we've seen this before because this was the reason why Philip ended up in Samaria was because Stephen got killed. And so God used Stephen's death to send the people out. And they were preaching. You know, it says in the text that we read that some people preached to the Jews. Others would preach to the Gentiles as they were going out to all these different cities. But God still uses that today. He still uses the trials that you go through. He still uses not just to grow his kingdom in number. We're going to see that today, too, as we read through this text. It's not just to add people to, to these seats, but it's to grow you. It's to grow. The kingdom growth is not just about adding more people, although that is, you know, what we're called to do. It's about growing you in the kingdom, you know. And you're not going to learn anything. You're not going to grow unless it hurts. I'm sorry to say that it's just a fact. I'm not either. Unless it hurts, you're not going to grow. You're going to go right back to the way you were before. The best lessons you could you can learn are the ones that you experience and you uh, you know, you have to go through, you know, for instance, all that stuff I just said, it's going to go right out the door when you actually go through suffering. You're going to go through the same things everybody else is going to go through. You're going to go through anger and you're going to go through sadness. You're going to go through asking questions. Why did this happen? And you're going to go through those exact same things. And then if you're born again, you have the spirit of Christ living inside of you. You're going to come out the other side 
more mature as a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, somebody who's dependent on the Lord than you were when you went in. And then you will understand what it means that God works all things for his good. Does that make sense? He has got to, I've said it a million times and I know you've heard it before. You are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, patience, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. But you're, you're not able to grow in those things until they're tested. You know, if Dean tests my patience, that's how I grow in patience. You know what I mean? If, if, something, if something comes up, you know, where I need to be patient, I need to be gentle, I need to be kind, and I fail, I realize that I'm not gentle and I'm not kind and I grow in that area. I know you probably will find this funny, but I'm a whole lot kinder today than I used to be. <laughs> What you, that's not that funny. <laughs> Do you know that when... The, yeah, I mean, I ain't saying I'm kind. I'm saying I'm more kind today than I was. Y'all, y'all have to agree so much with me. You know, when, when I first got hired here at the church, within a month I ran three families off. It, got, so it was... It was at the time I was in seminary and I was going to school and working here and Brother Eddie said look just sit at the desk in there and study and just do that for a couple years and leave everybody alone and don't you know it was but going through things when you know confrontations trials you know uh, anyway so God uses Persecution. He uses trial. He uses all those things to grow his kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. With me? Yep. So they were spread out. Hey, Doug, they were spread out. They were going to these different cities. And it says that they were preaching. And if you'll skip down and look at verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of belie- believed and turned to the Lord. So you see that God was using them. God was using them to... To grow his kingdom. The second thing you need to see in this text is that God uses every believer. That's you, that's your friend, that's the one sitting next to you, that's the ones that you think are ignorant, that's the ones that you think don't know what they're doing and are ugly and mean and stinky or whatever. God uses every believer. When we go through the book of Acts, it's easy for us to kind of focus on the superstars. You know, you're talking about Peter, and you're talking about Paul, and you're talking about Philip, and you're talking about all these guys. But these guys here that turned many to the Lord, nobody had been there. You know, nobody had been to Cyprus and Cyrene, and, and, and Antioch's going to be one of the biggest cities uh, in, the, in the Roman world. Uh, but they got, But we don't know who they are. We're not told who it was that went. We don't, I mean, we won't ever know until we get to heaven. We might get to meet them, but we don't know who these believers are. But it says many were turned to the Lord. Antioch is going to become, it's the, it was the third biggest city in the Roman world. You had Rome, you had Alexandria, Egypt, and Antioch. Antioch was one of the biggest cities, third biggest city in the empire. And it was full of money. Uh, it was cultural stuff. It was a, a, a place where goods were brought and bought and sold and all those kind of things. And, and so we're not told, we're, we're not told who these believers are who went to Phoenicia and who went to Antioch. Um, but they're just regular old believers. It's just you. Sometimes we think, you know, we're reading the book of Acts and 
I was talking about the church and how it grows and how God uses it. We focus on Peter and we focus on Paul and we focus on all these guys. And, you know, we just need some Peters and Pauls around here today. We need somebody who's uh, powerful in, in the, you know, whatever. When the reality is that you got one Peter, you got one Paul, you got 12 disciples or 12 apostles. And most of the rest of the people that God used to grow his kingdom, you have never heard of. You don't know the names. You don't know who they were. You don't know who their families were. Most of the people that God uses to grow his kingdom, even today, you know, you got your superstar preachers on the TV. You know, I'm talking about the actual preachers, not the send your money to this whatever. I'm not I'm talking about actual, you know, you got the, the guys who write books that sell millions of copies. And you got the big names and all those stuff. But 99.9999% of God's work that's being done among the kingdom, the discipling that's going on, the growing that's going on, the evangelism that's going on, happens by people that you have no idea who they are, you've never heard of them. And what that tells us is that God is going to use every, there's no believer that God is not using in some way, shape, or form. He told them, he said, you will be my witnesses to the utter end of the world. And so that's every one of them. Every single one of them. You will all receive power. You will all become my witnesses. And wherever it is that you're at, you're going to be uh, my witness. They were, they were forced to leave Jerusalem because of the persecution. But everywhere they went, no matter where they went, no matter why they went, they were preaching the word of God. They were witnessing to what Christ had done. And people were being saved and the kingdom was growing. You understand? So you got the first thing he uses to grow you and the kingdom is he uses trial and persecution. The second thing is he's going to use every single believer. Uh, just the fact that well, we're going to see this later on, but Antioch is going to be the Christian hub of missions and evangelism and all these things. It's going to be one, the most important Christian city in the New Testament era. Uh, and it, the church there was started by folks we don't even know who they are. Don't even know who they are. They were scattered from Jerusalem, came and just did their thing. And this is Antioch is where Paul and Barnabas left out for their missionary journeys. It was where the people were first called Christians. I think it says that here uh, in, in just a minute. But it is, uh, it's right, if you wonder where Antioch is, it's right about where modern Turkey is going to be. So if you find a map and look at Turkey, and there were, it, it was unlikely that this would be a city where a church would grow and flourish uh, just because there were lots of pagan temples, lots of wickedness, lots of uh, corruption, lots of uh, everybody. There was lots of money going around because it was right there where people would come in and trade goods and do all these things. And so they're unnamed believers, some preaching to the Jews, some to the Gentiles. Let's let's go on. I feel like I'm just kind of in a blah today. Are y'all just like in a uh, is it just me? No, it's just me. <laughs> I mean, is it just me that's in a blah? Or I'm not saying y'all think I'm in a blah. I'm saying, are y'all in a blah too? Yeah. Okay, I'm in a blah. All right. So, the third thing is that God is going to use your gift. This part right here is very interesting to me. Because it says, and behold, the, oh no, that's the wrong one. Where am I at? 22. 22. Then the tidings of these things came to the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. What did they hear about? What, what tidings? 
Yeah, that believers were growing up in Antioch and Cyprus and and Phoenicia and all these places. And so the church at Jerusalem heard this and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And so they sent him. Remember, Barnabas means son of encouragement. Remember, that's what his name means. And we found out that Barnabas was an encourager, wasn't he? He was the only one that took Saul in under his wing when everybody else was terrified that Saul was going to start killing people. And he was just trying to sneak into the church and just acting like he was a Christian so he could come kill everybody. And Barnabas was the one that kind of took him in, invested in him, listened to his story. And then Barnabas brought him to Peter and and they told him a story and then you know Paul Saul uh, Saul Paul whatever he started preaching and causing a bunch of stuff and what they do with him Y'all remember Send him home. They sent him off to Tarsus. Get out of here. He causing too much trouble. And so Barnabas, they sent him, and the apostles sent him so that he could work with these new churches, these, these things that were going on, the people that were growing up in, in Antioch and, and Cyprus. And Barnabas was actually from Cyprus, so he was a good choice to do those things. But look what it says about him. It says, uh, when who when he came when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord Barnabas the encourager Barnabas the encourager was encouraging what was he telling them he was exhorting them and he was rejoicing that the grace of God had come to these Gentiles and that uh, God was moving in their midst and he encouraged them that they should cleave to the Lord that they should you know he was like God was using his gift his gift seems to be encouragement we saw it back when he was with Saul we see it now we're going to see it again later but his gift was coming alongside other believers and encouraging them he was, he was uh, exhorting them to hold fast to their confession. He was exhorting them to go on with the Lord, to grow and to mature, to, to, to hold fast to the confession that they have believed in. And God was using, uh, using his gift. He was a man... Uh, he was a good man, verse 24, which means he was a man of good report. It means that people spoke well of him. And he was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord. So Barnabas came to these churches. He did what Barnabas do. Lots of people need a Barnabas. The church still needs them, you know, to come and just to encourage, you know. I probably wouldn't be the first choice to come and encourage you. Don't laugh, Donna Kelly. You know that I, she, she was the only one that smiled. I probably I wouldn't be the first choice to come alongside you and encourage you. I think I'm doing a whole lot better now than I used to. But it takes a special person, person with a gift of, of mercy and a gift of exhorting people, a gift of investing and saying, you know, it, Barnabas came alongside them and he was from Jerusalem. He was a Jew. He was with the uh, the Jerusalem church and he, he was helping them kind of grow into these churches. He wasn't trying to make the Antiochian church like the Jerusalem church. He was rejoicing at the grace of God with the Gentiles. He was rejoicing that God was moving moving among them just like he had moved among Israel and he was God was using him it says many people uh, turned to the Lord many people came to the Lord Barnabas was a man that had a particular set of gifts and God was using those gifts to bring forth fruit in the church right now here's what was so interesting to me 
Um, God used... Barnabas was a guy who was also really humble. This next part really stuck out to me when I was reading it and studying it. It says... Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. He went after Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now, I don't, it doesn't tell us why. But the next verse said, It came to pass that the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. See, up until this point, we're hearing encouragement. We're hearing exhorting. We're hearing Barnabas coming alongside. But he went and found Saul. And now we're hearing for a whole year they taught the people. So what I'm thinking, and this is just me speaking and putting my two cents in, you can disagree or agree, whatever. Barnabas saw a need that he wasn't, um, he knew that he didn't have the particular gift skill set to, to satisfy. He saw a need, and the reason why I say that is Tarsus was a good hundred miles from Antioch. I mean, it is a good 100 miles from Antioch, where they used to be. So, you know, it, like 100 miles take me a couple of hours to drive, but how long would it take you to walk? <laughs> 100 miles. I mean, you're talking about weeks at least that it would have taken him. So Barnabas left his work, the work that he was doing. God was blessing, says many people turned to the Lord. Many people were. Barnabas left that work. To go to Tarsus just for the purpose of seeking Saul in order to bring him back. So I don't know how many weeks it takes to walk 100 miles. But it, it took him a while. He had to leave the church at Antioch that he was ministering to. To go find Saul in order to bring him back to this church. And then they stayed there a year and taught many of the people. I think, and this is just me, you know, this is not Bible. But I think that... He saw a need in the people. Maybe he, maybe they needed somebody that was going to bring them more discipleship. Maybe they need somebody who was uh, going to teach them about, you know, more of the Old Testament scripture, how it's related to Christ, and they needed some ministry that Barnabas thought, you know, I need Saul to come and help me. He remembered Saul, remember, because Saul was so powerful as a preacher. Saul was so zealous and he was so knowledgeable about old the Old Testament and the the way that Jesus fulfills those things. And so he takes out to find Saul and, and brings him back. And what that shows me is not only did God Use Barnabas's gift. Barnabas could have been like so many other people, and you know, even things. Sometimes I see in myself was like, well, well, if I can't do it, then you know, you know, I, I'm not going to bring in another superstar in, in order to you know take my. I'm Barnabas, you know, I'm from Jerusalem, you know, so I'm gonna be the only big name here. He didn't do any of that. He was humble. He understood. Look, I, I'm an encourager. I'm an exhorter. I'm a saw. Barnabas was the pastoral guy. Does that make sense? He was the, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to grow with you. I'm going to love love you and, and, and show you how to do these things. And Saul was more like the discipleship guy. I'm going to teach you about the scripture and how all this works together. And I'm going to 
build all this on your found on the foundation. That doesn't mean that Barnabas was ignorant about the scripture, and it doesn't mean that Paul wasn't pastoral. We read some of Paul's letters, and he was very pastoral. But they both had a skill set that the church needed, and Barnabas saw that, and he left to go get Saul, brought him back, and then they stayed there a year together, the pastoral guy and the discipleship guy, and they worked together to grow the church at Antioch. Does that make sense? So the overarching, I mean, all that, a lot of that is speculation, but I just, it makes a whole lot of sense when you read the text, when you see that, you know, after Saul came back is when he said, now they were being taught. Uh, But what it shows me is that God is going to use, he's going to use persecution and trial to grow his kingdom. He's going to use every single believer to grow his kingdom, but he's also going to use your specific skill set to grow his kingdom. Barnabas wasn't necessarily... lacking anything because it says as Barnabas was there and he was exhorting them to cleave to the Lord it said many turned to the Lord many were growing in Christ I mean he was doing a good job God was using his skill set but Barnabas also saw that these people that he cared about that he was rejoicing over they needed something uh, that Saul was particularly uh, equipped to provide them with and so he left them for a matter of weeks to go get Saul in order to bring... I mean, he thought it was that important that I'm going to leave for however long it takes to walk 100 miles. I don't know. I'm going to leave for that amount of time and I'll be back. Just hang tight. I'm going to go get Saul. And then when he came back, they were taught for you know, a, a year at a time. He's going to, he's going to use, he's going to use the gift set that he has given you, you know? And so that's not to say that you're not supposed to grow in other gifts that you don't have. When I'm talking about gifts, I'm talking about, um, not necessarily spiritual gifts. Like we all have our spiritual gifts. Um, but they include spiritual gifts. But just like, for instance, um, my thing is my thing is music, playing music. That's not a spiritual gift. It's a lot of people that ain't nowhere near Christian can play music. Okay, so that's not a spiritual gift, but it is something that the Lord has has given me. Not just that I'm so awesome, God's just blessed me with talent or anything, but it's 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 something that I have. I mean, it's something I can use. You know, uh, before uh, you know, Brother Eddie would use the horses. You know, he would have kids over his barn from all these people, and you know, they would ride horses, and he would tell them about horses, and he'd get a chance to witness to them. He'd get a chance to grow them. He'd get a chance to come alongside and disciple them. And, you know, my thing is music. I'll teach you how to play the drums. You let me talk to you about Jesus. I'll teach you how to play the keyboard or the guitar or whatever. And, and I do that sometimes. And and y- yours may not be any one of those things. Yours might be, uh, you know, yours might be uh, caring about somebody that a lot of other people ain't going to care for. Or, you know, I mean, I don't want to leave anything out, but it could be anything. It could be anything in this world. Whatever it is that you enjoy doing, that you come into contact with other people, that could be where God God has planted you. I want you to grow my kingdom right here. I want you to be a witness for me when you go here, when you do that, whether it's your job or whether it's your neighborhood or whether it's whatever it is that you do. God has provided you with whatever it is that you need. He's going to use every single believer. Remember those unnamed believers we talked about? And he's going to use what he's given you. You know, he's going to use. There was a time when, you know, music is really not a passion of mine. You know, it's something that I can 
do, uh, but it's not really, you know, I don't go to, I don't really like going to concerts and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I really don't, I don't even listen to music usually when I'm in my truck or whatever. I'll listen to talk radio or, or, or preaching or lectures or stuff like that. So it's really not, there was a time when I'm just not going to do this and I don't really care about the music thing and I don't blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that God uh, put me in a position where I can teach kids how to play these instruments. And so it, it came to me, I didn't have no revelation or no vision or nothing like that, but it, it just hit me that if God's put you here and equipped you to do this, then you probably better should be doing it uh, because that's kind of probably why you're here. You know, makes sense? And so God is going to use the gifts and the talents that he's given you. He's going to use the spiritual gifts that you excel at, whether they be teaching or mercy or or exhortation or, or, or whatever it is, he's going to use those. But he's also going to use things, you know, in in you just talents that anybody can have. You know, like 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 I said, music is not a spiritual gift. I don't care what none of the worship leaders on TV tell you. Music and singing is not a spiritual gift because there's a lot of lost people that sing really good. You know, a lot of lost people. When I was lost, I could sing really good and I could make the whole church cry with my sad Christian songs, but I was lost as a billy goat in tall grass. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't God. It wasn't God. Uh, it, you know, it wasn't God in my heart that was coming out in the people. It was just, it was just music. I'm kind of blathering on, but you see, you see, I see in Barnabas and Saul that Barnabas saw something that the church needed that he realized I need to go get Saul because he's the man that's going to be able. And Saul and Barnabas worked together for a year. It says, where were we at? Verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. He went from Antioch to Tarsus, found Saul, brought him back to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. It says, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That's the that's where the name comes from, Christians. A lot of times you'll hear, you know, you'll hear people say, well, you know, uh, I've heard people say, well, Jesus wasn't a Christian or there wasn't no Christianity or just bashing the name being a Christian. But it was actually in Antioch when they were first called Christians. Up until this point in time, people just thought they were Jewish. You know, the Romans didn't distinguish between Jew and Christian. They just thought being a Christian meant you were Jewish that followed this one guy, this Messiah that they, they thought. It was just another sect of Judaism. But here, the Gentiles start coming in and uh, this this big, huge, predominantly Gentile church is first called a Christian. They are followers of Christ. That's what the word means. A disciple, a follower of, of Christ. Does that make sense? All right. The last thing that you see in this text, and then we'll we'll just discuss it if you want to, is that God uses the local fellowship. God uses the local fellowship to grow His church, to grow His kingdom, to grow. When I say grow His church, I mean worldwide his kingdom the kingdom of God uh, <clears throat> and in these days came prophets from Jerusalem and Antioch unto Antioch now these were men that God spoke through remember there's no New Testament at this time 
that God was still at this point giving revelation. It was being written. It was being penned down. These were men who prophecy is not always. We're going to see that it is right here. He's going to, this Agabus is going to predict that a famine's coming. Uh, but more often than not, 90% of the time in the Bible, prophecy is not foretelling the future. Okay, no matter what you hear on TV, I'm sorry. Prophecy is telling what God has said. It's as simple as that. That is the definition of what prophecy is. Sometimes, like Agabus is going to say to us that God says there's going to be a famine coming in Jerusalem. Uh, but 90% of the time, the prophets, the actual Old Testament prophets, were not predicting the future. They were saying, God says, repent of your sin. God says, turn back to Him. God says, do this. God says, do that. So even today, in a sense, you could say that the person who, you know, if, if, a, if a man stands up and reads Scripture and interprets it correctly, he could be considered, he is considered to prophesy because he is saying, this is what God has said. God has said this to you. And so uh, uh, prophecy is not always just, hey, your redheaded cousin is going to come see you in a couple weeks. God wants you to give him $3 and, you know, tank full of gas. And, you know, that's usually not prophecy. But in this case, we see that Agabus is going to predict that there's a famine coming. So Jerusalem church sends men to the Antioch church to help them, to grow them, to speak to them, to minister among them. It says, And there stood upon them one named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth, which is a famine, throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. There was, uh, there was in fact, a famine in 47 A.D. when Claudius was the emperor. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Which also they did, sent to elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So you got two churches here that are helping each other. You got Jerusalem church, mostly Jewish. Remember, Jew and Gentile, not on the best of terms. They realize the grace of God. They realize what's going on. They send prophets to help. They send men to minister to help in all this work that's going on in Antioch. And the, one of these prophets, Agabus, says, you know what? It's a famine coming. It's a famine coming in, in all the Roman world. And so uh, it's going to hit Palestine really hard. It's going to hit Judea really hard. And so the Antioch church gets together and what do they do? They send relief money. They send money back to Jerusalem. And this, you can read this in, in, in uh, uh, Corinthians when Paul says, you know, that, that this church sent money back to Jerusalem, those that were starving, those that, that needed something. So, you got four things in this text that I see, and then you just need to comment or ask questions or tell me what you think. He's going to use persecution and trial in your life. He's going to use every single believer. Nobody's excluded. Nobody's left out. He's going to use the gifts and the callings that he's given you, the talents that he's given you. And he's going to use the local fellowship among each other to grow his kingdom. So I see all four of those things in these texts. Y'all, anybody disagree? Anybody see something different? Anybody want to comment on any of those four things? Y'all are in just like a blah. No? Does anybody have an example of a gift that God would use? That Can you go over these again, but you said the persecution. 
Uh, God used the persecution of Stephen to push his people out to minister. Well, I know that. I'm just saying the list. You said persecution. Yeah. Uh, he'll use every single believer. Every single one. Nobody's excluded. You sitting there saying, I don't have the right gifts. I don't have the right. That's a lie. You may not have the same gift as the person sitting next to you, but you have a tool that God's given you. You have uh, you have something that God has gifted you with that is to be used to grow His people, to grow His kingdom, and to make the name of Christ known. Uh, God will also use those gifts. Uh, that kind of okay. He'll use persecution. He'll use every single believer. He'll use the gifts and talents of those believers uh, for His glory, and He'll also use the local fellowship to. Uh, to grow his kingdom. Jerusalem sent help to Antioch to help them grow and disciple them. Antioch sent help back to Jerusalem because they were about to experience a huge famine. Make sense? Now, the next chapter we're going to talk about in chapter 12 is going to get a little it's going to get a little um, interesting. That's a good way to put it. We're going to see some strange things go on. We're going to see Herod step into the... Herod Agrippa is going to step into the picture. And uh, I guess I can go ahead and spill the beans to you. He is going to persecute two apostles. One apostle God is going to miraculously deliver. And the other one's going to be put to death. And so when you read chapter 12 next week... I want you. It, the whole, most of the, there's one verse about James, so it's easy to skip that. It's easy to miss that. The rest of the chapter is about Peter being delivered from prison. But just remember that uh, God. Don't take the chapter as you know. Whenever I'm being persecuted, God's just going to deliver me. He did do that, and He will do that, and He does that very often. But remember, James didn't get delivered. He got the sword, and so. The, talk about John in that chapter because I have read ahead. Uh huh. John. And it says his surname is Mark. Yeah, John Mark. Yeah, okay. You threw me off there, man. I thought you were talking about the Apostle John. John Mark. Yeah. Is that Mark? Yes, that's wrote? Mark. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's Mark. That is yeah. That is like the one who wrote the book of Mark. Wrote the book of Mark, yeah. The book of Mark, he, Mark, um, tradition tells us, this is not something I can prove from Scripture, but tradition tells us that Mark is telling the gospel from Peter's point of view. So it's Peter that informed and uh, influenced Mark as he wrote the gospel. And of course Luke is from, Luke is from, uh, compiled eyewitnesses of his own account but Luke was a companion of Paul in Acts we're going to see about halfway through he's going to start saying and we traveled and we went and we got on the thing that's where Luke joined Paul and they, they went all over and of course Matthew and John were actual apostles Did now the, really write the first I've heard that before. say that again did Mark write the first gospel. Was Mark written before the others? That's the prevailing theory. It's called Mark and Priority right now. That's what I've read. Yeah, it's the prevailing theory today. It hadn't always been that way. 
but that's the prevailing theory. The reason why people say that is because there are the tendency of we don't we don't need this on the the tendency of the scribes was to add to, not take away from, and. There are passages 